0: Would you repeat this, say this with me? I I will lead, and then you follow. He is risen. (laughs) Hallelujah. Some people don't think that it matters whether Jesus is risen indeed. You know, it's a religious story. And religious stories, they say, don't need to be true in order to be meaningful. Well, that's like saying whether the Revolutionary War really happened or not doesn't really matter. It's the life lessons that we learn from the story that are important. I don't want to minimize the value of life lessons, but anyone who would say that is nuts. And the same is true of Jesus' resurrection. If he didn't rise, then as St. Paul once said, we might as well eat fatty foods that are high in cholesterol, drink too much, and party. Because if Jesus didn't rise, we'll be dead and gone before we know it. That was my paraphrase, in case you hadn't picked up on that. But if Jesus rose, it means something. It means something for us, for how we live our lives and how we think about our circumstances. Most of what I'm going to share with you today is from Paul's classic study of the resurrection in the first letter to the Corinthians, the 15th chapter. Let me read part of that right now, 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 28. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own turn. Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. Then the end will come when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. For he has put everything under his feet. Now, when it says that everything's been put under him, which, by the way, is a reference to Psalm chapter 8, It is clear that this does not include God himself who put everything under Christ. When he's done this, then the son himself will be made subject to him who put everything under him so that God may be all in all. We're going to talk about the implications of the resurrection this morning. But before we do, you need a little background. There's a serious misunderstanding in the Corinthian church, one that could truly be called heresy. While the Corinthians believed that God raised Jesus from the dead, they did not believe that God would raise the rest of us. They were taught in Greek philosophy that our souls escape the impurity of this material world at death into a perfect non-material heaven, a place not made out of matter. But the Bible doesn't teach that we need to escape matter. It teaches we need to escape sin. And the good news is that God has made a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus for us to escape our sins. Now, the reason I mention this is that many American Christians are caught up in a similar error. Their focus is on escaping earth and going to heaven, not on escaping uh, sin and following Jesus. When they think of their future, they picture themselves in heaven as Aerie sprites, to use a line from Shakespeare, floating around on fluffy clouds, to use an image from Saturday morning cartoons. But that is Looney Tunes theology. It is not biblical theology. And besides, who wants to float around on a cloud for eternity? I'd be itching for something to do before the first 10 minutes were out. The Corinthians' error involved a misunderstanding of the resurrection. So they're Greeks, they didn't have a Jewish background, and when they looked at the resurrection, they didn't get it. They thought that what happened to Jesus was a standalone event that didn't directly affect the rest of us. Paul couldn't disagree more. He argued that the one resurrection of all God's people happens in two stages— Stage one involves Jesus, the first fruits of the resurrection, as he calls him. And that's already taken place. Stage two will happen at some point in the future when all the rest of God's people who have ever lived, those who have died and those who are then living, will be raised or changed just like Jesus. See, It's all of a piece. If Jesus was resurrected, we will be too. If he was not resurrected, we will not be but understand he's talking about resurrection not merely floating around as airy sprites or cartoon spirits in some gossamer heaven. Okay, with that out of the way, let me share with you 11 implications or consequences of the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Number one, the fact that God raised Jesus from the dead makes faith in Jesus useful. If Christ is not raised, verse 14, then faith is useless. If Jesus' bones are moldering in a grave somewhere, then believing in Jesus is worthless. If Jesus is dead, your faith, this is verse 17, is futile. Faith is like a withdrawal slip from the bank. It means nothing unless the account is open and has funds. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, the account is closed, there's nothing to draw on, and faith is meaningless, no matter how genuine it may be. But Christ, verse 20, has indeed risen from the dead, and so your faith in him is invaluable. That brings us to number two. The resurrection of Jesus means you are forgiven. You are not, verse 17, in your sins. God no longer regards you as an enemy. The biblical writers understood the resurrection to signify that God had accepted Jesus' sacrifice for sin. In evangelical Christianity, we often talk about our need to accept Jesus' sacrifice, but the biblical writers understood that it was even more important that God accepted Jesus' sacrifice. He did, and he proved it by raising him from the dead. Third implication, the fact that Jesus rose means that you will also rise. Christian's hope is not escaping to some antiseptic heaven, but in rising to a glorious resurrection. Our stubborn enemy of old, death, is not going to win. It doesn't get the last word. In Christ, all will be made alive, verse 22. You know what that means? it means that death is not terminal. It's not the end of the line. The Christian who dies slowly from cancer or quickly in a car accident, doesn't matter, will not stay dead. He or she will rise. Whenever I walk away from the bedside of a Christian who's dying, not knowing whether I'll I'll see him or her the next day, I always say the same thing. I'll see you again. But I know the next time I see that Christian, I may be seeing him or her as I've never seen him before or her before. Overflowing with joy and power, not wasting away in a bed, but radiating glory and more alive than ever before. Not an airy sprite, but a real human. Fourth implication everything, including you, me, and everyone we know, governments and corporations, principalities and powers, everything will be brought into subjection to Jesus, the risen Lord. He will destroy all dominion and authority and power. That's verse 24. All that stands against God and he will reign, verse 25, until he puts everything under his feet. And that brings us to the Fifth implication of the resurrection. God has begun in the resurrection of Jesus and will certainly succeed in setting everything that has gone wrong right. Things will not always be the way they are now. There's still room in the universe right now for people to disobey God, but it will not always be so. Everything is coming to a point, to the point To the point of it all, the risen Christ, who will bring everything into submission to his will. No more evil, no more injustice. He will make all things new, and he will make all things right. That means, among other things, that people who do wrong will not get away with it. The resurrection is proof that God will make everything right and that he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. God will render final judgment. And no one will get away with anything because everything leaves a mark that the resurrection will reveal. For we must all appear. This is what Saint Paul tells the Corinthians before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. I once visited a woman when I was at another church, whose children were coming to church with one of our families. <clears throat> every week, every week they were there. They were out of control. Um, they they were wreaking havoc, and I needed to talk to her. So I went to her home. I invited her to come with her children to church, partly for her sake, but honestly, partly for everyone else's, but she firmly declined. She had no intention of ever coming to church. She had a thing against church, she said, because her religious church every Sunday dad had molested her repeatedly when she was a child. When her mother, whom she loved, died a horrific death, and her father, whom she hated, died a painless one, she blamed God. She was sure that a good not, good God would not let that man get away with it. But here's what she didn't know. No one ever gets away with anything. Instead, they take everything with them to judgment. The resurrection of Jesus is proof God gave to all people that he intends to judge the world with justice. Those who who have given up their rebellion and come over to God's side, that is, those who have repented of their sins, to them the resurrection is a source of sustaining hope. But for those who stay in their sins and try to hide them, like that woman's dad, the resurrection threatens exposure and condemnation. Sixth implication. The resurrection not only means that no one ever gets away with anything, It also means that no one ever loses anything done for the sake of Christ. No labor of love or sacrifice for Christ is ever wasted. That's the point of verses 30 through 32. Paul endured sacrifice, even faced death repeatedly, because he knew that resurrection was coming. God will not let death have the final word. Sacrifice and courage will be rewarded. Seventh implication. We will see people we love again. Because of the resurrection, they are not lost to us, and we are not lost to them. I look forward to seeing my brother, whom I haven't seen for a long, long time, who came to faith in Christ five months before he died. I plan to see my father and my mother, my grandmother, Ralph Mindorf. Last time I saw him, he was beating me on a golf course. Norm Gifford. My old housemate who died before we turned 35, and the people I've known and loved here at LCC Clarence and Marion, and Evelyn and Carl, and Ruby and Wilma, and Joe and Glenn and Jackie and June and Mike, and more names than I can possibly mention. The words we should have spoken but didn't will still get a chance to speak. People that we miss saying goodbye to, we're going to get to say hello to. Hugs and kisses can still be given, jokes told, dances danced. Because of the resurrection, nothing is lost. Not our sacrifices, not our sufferings, not our loved ones, not our friends, not even our sins. Our sins will not be lost. There's no hope for that. But because of Christ Jesus, they can be forgiven, and that is better by far. What's lost may be found. What's buried may resurface. Look, what happens in Vegas never stays in Vegas. That is a bald-faced lie. But what God forgives stays forgiven. Eighth implication of the resurrection. The resurrection means Jesus himself is praying for you. He ever lives to make intercession for us. Paul expressed the same idea this way. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, was raised to life, is at the right hand of God, and is also interceding for us. Think what a difference it would make if you could hear Jesus praying for you. What if you could hear him praying, Father, Satan has sifted John like wheat, but please restore him and use him to bless and encourage my people. What if you could hear him praying that for you? Father, Lori's had all she can take. She's ready to give up. Please send her help so that she can endure or father michael is one of mine and he's on the verge of giving into temptation please lead him out of temptation and deliver him from evil if you could hear jesus praying like that for you you would stick out the tough relationship you would endure the hardship you would dare the right to do the right thing no matter the cost you can't hear him but he is praying for you and his father can hear him The one who was raised to life is at God's right hand interceding for you. That's the eighth implication of the resurrection. Now, three more to go. Number nine. The resurrection means that you will be changed. That's verse 51. People talk, especially as they get older, about their longing for a new body. But I don't think we have a clue what we're talking about. When our arthritis is bothering us, or our knee goes south while the rest of us is going north, or cancer invades our body, we say, oh, I can't wait for that new body God promised. But all we're thinking about is alleviating our pains and reversing our problems. What God has planned for us is so much more than that. My wife Karen drives a Chevy minivan that's rusting out and starting to have some transmission problems. Imagine that some benefactor says to her, Karen, I want to bless you by doing something about that old van of yours. And she says, oh, that's wonderful. And she comes home and tells me, and I say, I wonder what he's talking about. Is he talking about new rocker panels? Man, that'd be good. And a rebuilt transmission? Wow, That's probably too much to hope for. And then one day he shows up at our house with a brand new Range Rover V8 supercharged SV. See, that's what he intended to do about that old van. But look, that illustration falls way short. The difference between what we have now and the changed body God is going to give us isn't like the difference between an old Chevy van and a new Range Rover. It's more like the difference between an old Chevy van and a light speed capable spaceship. Paul is not talking about the old body without problems, but about a new kind of body We currently have what he repeatedly in 1 Corinthians 15 calls a soul body. But we will receive what he calls a spiritual body, the kind Jesus has had ever since the resurrection. The Lord Jesus Christ, this is Philippians 3.21, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. But don't think that that spiritual body will be made of spirit. That's the problem that the the Corinthians had. That would be like thinking that an electric car is made of electricity. No, the spiritual body will be powered by spirit. And what it will be capable, capable of is beyond our current ability to conceive. Tenth implication. The resurrection of Jesus means that God will be all in all, verse 28. Or everything in everything. All human history, all cosmic history, all salvation history is moving inexorably in this direction. This is what the prophet Habakkuk was talking about when he said, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. See, because of our sin... And because of God's mercy, God remains hidden from us most of the time. We could not, not even the best of us, bear his unconcealed presence in our current state. But it will not always be so. The resurrection will set things right, will change us, will bring the cosmos back to its original. Original plan. And then the saying will be true. No longer will a man teach his neighbor, saying, Know the Lord, for they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. See, from our perspective, which is to say from the hole in which we landed when Adam fell, we have trouble seeing it. But the cosmos has a peculiar shape. If you were up in the wilderness, you were with me on some flying trip in the middle of nowhere in Canada, and you found a bowl-shaped object or a a goblet-shaped object, you would say, somebody made this. This is made to hold something. It must be a container. Well, the cosmos is like that. If we could only see it, it was made to be a container. We were made to hold something. The eternal God. God. He is to be all in all, everything and everything, to the delight and eternal bliss of creation. The resurrection means that God is on track in his long-range plan to be all in all. Eleventh implication. We might think that because we will undergo this, this incredible change that our present earthly life doesn't matter much. But the resurrection means just the opposite. Because the resurrection is coming, because nothing will be lost, the work we do now matters. It matters for eternity. The resurrection will preserve every good thing and transfer it into the age to come. So Paul says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters not hope for the future. Instead, he says, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Our labor in the Lord is not in vain. Every good work, every faithful, effort, every act of love will be preserved. Now, Paul's not talking about religious work. Don't think church work. He's talking about all the work we do as the people of Jesus. Some of our efforts aren't going to make it through the resurrection but work that glorifies God will. So it's worth asking ourselves if we're spending more time on things that won't last or on things that will. Okay, 11 implications of the resurrection. What do we do with them? I'll suggest three things. First, if you haven't done so already, come over to Jesus' side. Now, I'm not talking about getting religion. I'm talking about confessing Jesus acknowledging him, the chosen leader of God's people, and aligning yourself with him. Most of us here have already done that. That's what a church is, a gathering of Jesus' people. I invite you to become one of us today, before you leave. Second, live faithfully and die courageously. We need people who will do both. Now, I didn't say second and third because these are two sides of the same coin. You don't have to fear loss and death because living for Jesus, you can't lose, and believing in Jesus, you can't permanently die. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die or literally will not die into the age, the age to come, the resurrection. With a guarantee like that, we can go all out. And finally, tell others. See, the early Christians didn't talk about the resurrection as if it was evidence that we get to keep on living in some fashion after we die. They took it as evidence that God was acting on earth while they lived. Keeping his promises, bringing history to fulfillment. They didn't treat the resurrection as a doctrine that religious people need to believe, but as a paradigm shifting event that everyone must face. As such, the resurrection is also a two sided coin. It is great news for those who come to God, it is terrible news for those who won't. But either way, it's still news. Share the news, he is risen, risen. hallelujah.